This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. In today's episode, we're going to finish up what we were talking about last week. Remember, we were talking about uh, you know, making friends and how the Bible repeatedly warns uh, warns us against spending time with the wrong kinds of folks. So we're going to finish that, those thoughts up. We're, we're just about done with it. Uh, I also, uh, at the end, since we're not going to get be able to fill the whole time with the ending of this, we're going to look at an introduction to the the letter that Paul wrote to Titus, and I, I hope you stick around with me for that. And before we dive into those things, I, I want to make everyone aware of what's going on this summer. You're, you, I know what you're thinking. Right now you're thinking, man, I can't wait for my kids to be home from school all day so I can spend time with them. Because we do love spending time with our children. We love them dearly. But we also know our children can become very restless. And we don't get the summer off, do we? We still have to work. What what are we going to do with the kids? How are we going to entertain them? How are we going to get them outside? And if I could do anything, it would be to get them off the phone, get them off the game console, and get them doing something and thinking about the things of God. Well, I have great news for you. Copper Basin Bible Camp. Oh, Chris, I can't afford that. Inflation, it's too high. I can't afford things like that. It's okay. You can afford this. It does not cost much. You may you, you might be thinking it's going to be $700 or, or $500 or, or, or maybe $1,000. Well, it's not. For one kid to spend a whole week, that's a Sunday afternoon all the way to Friday afternoon up at camp, is $195. That is it. We will lodge them. We will give them food. We're, we're going to give them a ton of fun. And most importantly, we're going to teach them about God. And this year's theme is emboldened. And we'll be studying through the book of Acts. You're, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And you can register for this right now at the Copper Basin Bible Camp. I'm sorry. Copper Basin BibleCamp.org. CopperBasinBibleCamp.org. You can register there. We even have a Cub Camp. Cub Camp is for those kids who are, um, well, they're potty trained. They can, you know, take care of themselves in the bathroom up to third grade. Those who are going into fourth grade, we got fourth to sixth, and then junior high, seventh and eighth, and then high school is uh, ninth to twelfth. And those who want to to be with their younger siblings, and you you want to be with the high schoolers, and high schoolers want to be with their uh, uh, the junior highers, we have combo camp. That's junior high and high school together. So we cover all the age brackets, and uh, it's going to be a great time. And I hope you can take a look at that. Join our kids up there, my kids up there. I got uh, two in cub camp and one in the fourth to sixth grade camp. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a great time. And uh, it gets them out of the house. It gets them off the videos. It gets them thinking about God. What a great, good blessing that is for them and for, for families, especially at a time like this. And we keep the price as low as we possibly can. If we could, we'd make it free. 
Uh, but that's, uh, we don't have the means to do that, but we want as many children up there as we can get because we want them to learn about the things of God. Okay, with that said, let's get back to what we were talking about, how the Bible warns us against spending time with the wrong kinds of people. And uh, we don't want that for our kids. Well, won't you get them to spend time with Christians up there at Copper Basin Bible Camp? <laughs> there we go. There's my, my next plug. So, as we were saying last week, 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It doesn't mean you can't have Christian friends. It just means that if they're going to be your friends, you've got to be careful they don't steer the boat, right? We don't want them leading us in the wrong direction. And it's a real danger. Most people are, are, are rowing the direction they, they're rowing because they're convinced it's the right way. Uh, Proverbs 12, 26, The righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Careful who you spend time with. And, you know, a lot of times, I've, I think this is the where we were about, where we were about at, at last week, talking about the bumping into people in life. You know, we, we find them like, uh, we find that we like them and we want to spend time with them. And nothing technically wrong with that. That's how you increase your sphere of influence. Um, that's how you meet people, how you begin to find folks you can introduce to your, 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 your good friend, Jesus, right? And so we, we want that. We're looking for that. So let's, um, let's talk about the kind of people Jesus spent his time with. And, and he spent a lot of his time with his 12 closest friends, right? His disciples. But he also spent time with people that I just told you, you, you shouldn't spend time with. Sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, uh, calm general losers of, in, in life, you, you could say. But Jesus never just happened to fall into those relationships. Those people became Jesus' acquaintances and ultimately became his friends, but they never steered the boat. In fact, they were, there were plenty of times Jesus told these new acquaintances things they didn't want to hear. For example, the, the crippled man Jesus healed in John chapter 5. Some folks were not happy that Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath. But the healed man stood up for Jesus. He didn't back down when they criticized what Jesus had done. Uh, but when uh, Jesus met him later in the day, this is in John chapter 5, verse 14, here's what Jesus said to that crippled man. At the word, Jesus found him, that's the crippled man, found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. Stop sinning. You need to stop moving your boat in this particular direction. Follow me. That's what he's saying. So this man had stood up for Jesus. He literally had become Jesus' friend, but Jesus told him, quit doing what you were doing. Stop sinning. If you don't, things could get worse. Now, if you have a friend, well, before I get into that, let me let me deal with that. Jesus is not saying there in John to this crippled man that being, get things getting worse for you is, oh, you thought you were crippled before. You're going to be very crippled if you keep doing this. He's not talking about that. He's talking about things being worse is you will go uh, into the direction of hell. 
That's being worse. The, you're going to be blessed by God. You're going to be blessed by God, not in a physical way, in, in the sense as, you know, riches. He got blessed by being healed by Jesus, but Jesus wants him to have a new heart and a new way of thinking. I don't, I don't have time to dive too much into that, but I don't want... I know some folks think that he's talking about worse being, you'll be even more crippled. He's talking about the spiritual state of his soul. So, back where we were. If you, you or I, have a friend who's doing drugs, do you suppose you should tell them to stop doing drugs? Of course. You should. They're your friend. If they really are your friend, if you have a friend who's abusing alcohol, do you suppose you should tell them to stop? Yes, if they're your friend. But here's where it can get a little ticklish. There are a lot of Christians who have no trouble telling people to live righteous lives because for many, the royal law of the kingdom is that people should live righteous lives. The royal law is actually love. Let me, let me back up. Don't get me wrong. We serve a righteous God who calls us to live righteous lives. But that is not the royal law of the kingdom, is it? James 2.8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. If you believe your main job is to call people to righteousness, you can risk becoming like the Pharisees in the day of Jesus. Those guys called people to righteousness too, but they didn't love the people they confronted. If you don't love people, your call to righteousness will sound hollow and self-righteous. And the folks you're trying to influence will not be likely to change. Jesus called us to be his friends. And part of his of being his friend was that we should learn to love as he loved. I want to I want us to look over at John chapter 15, um, 15 verses 12 to 17. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one Lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I choose, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. That is the key that should drive us. If we tell people what they need to hear, and we tell them in love, then we have followed the example of Jesus. We've shown them that we are his friends. We've shown him that we understand his message. We've shown we know how to steer the boat his way. There's a story I read. 
It was about a, a missionary uh, to Africa named, well, I won't name him, but he told of a time he was on a flight from Atlanta to Dallas, and he sat next to a little girl with Down syndrome. As you may know, such children know few barriers. They are open and honest and ask innocent questions as they seek to make friends with you. So, as soon as Cunningham settled in for his flight, the girl asked, in the purity of her innocence, Mister, did you brush your teeth this morning? <laughs> A little awkwardly, this, this missionary replied, Well, yes, I brushed my teeth this morning. Good, said the girl, because that's what you're supposed to do. Her next question was, Mister, do you smoke? When he said no, the little girl again answered, good, because smoking will make you die. Here's the third question. It was even easier to answer. She said, mister, do you love Jesus? And so the missionary with confidence, well, yes, I do. I do love Jesus. Good, she said, because we're all supposed to love Jesus. And just then, another man settled into the seat beside uh, the missionary. And the girl urged Milton, oh, excuse me, the missionary, to ask the new fella if he had brushed his teeth. <laughs> but he didn't want to disturb the stranger. However, the girl wouldn't leave him alone. So finally he gave in and he said, uh, Excuse me, mister, I, I don't mean to bother you, but my friend here wants me to ask you if you brushed your teeth this morning. The man noticed the girl. He realized her question was innocent enough, and he answered, Well, yes, I, I did brush my teeth this morning. With a sinking feeling, the missionary realized where this was going. The girl urged him to ask the stranger if he smoked. The man went through the second question. Sure enough, the girl wanted Milton to ask, the missionary to ask the third question. Did this man love Jesus? He protested that the question was too personal. He just wouldn't be comfortable asking it. He's a missionary, though. Something in him made him uncomfortable about pursuing a spiritual conversation with a fellow passenger. But the young girl persisted, so he said... She wants me to, now she wants to know if you love Jesus. At this, the man's face darkened. He began to talk about his desire to know God. He was at a point in his life where he was searching for God, for meaning, for purpose, but he didn't know where to turn. The missionary took advantage of the opportunity that God gave him through the, an innocent little girl to explain to the man the gospel of Jesus. So here you have this little girl with Down syndrome who steered the boat as she asked innocent questions of the missionary and then wanted him uh, the same, to ask the same questions to a stranger who sat next to him, who was lost in the emptiness of his life. She understood what it was to tell people what they needed to hear. She steered the boat so that the man who lacked Christ found him. I love that story. It's a great story. True story from my understanding. Uh, I wasn't going to mention the, the missionary's name, but I, I did say it like several times. Milton. I think it's Milton. Well, I won't say. I love that story. Well, we need to give ourselves over to Christ. Break down those barriers, don't we? Say things that can be uncomfortable, but we need to build up those relationships too. There's a lot we've got to do in this life. But Jesus, all he asks of us 
is that we give just a cup of cold water, something refreshing. And people are looking for that, right? Aren't they? They're looking for truth. I mean, look, look at what's going on in our society. What is the one thing that we want to know the most? The truth. Because we know everyone is lying, it seems like. Who's telling the truth? If we could only have a platform where truth could be found, well, maybe it's Twitter. Now that Elon Musk has it right. Well, that is a step in the good direction, but it is not the truth we all need at this time. The truth that folks are looking for, they may not even realize it. The truth that folks are looking for is found in the Word of God. You and I have it, and we we could give it to them. Well, I want us to get into the book of Titus, but before I do that, I forgot to mention at the beginning of this episode something that occurred yesterday. It was a leaked memo, so it's leaked, always leaked, can't trust anybody. (laughs) The Supreme Court never had anything leaked before, and in the entire history of that institution, at least not that I am aware of, but there was this time, and the leaked memo was to show that the court is going to, in June, when they release their their uh, rulings, is going to overturn Roe v. Wade, overturn abortion. That is fantastic. Amen. What a blessing. If you've been listening to this program, you know where I stand on this issue. I am not in favor in the killing of children, little babies, defenseless children. I'm not in favor of that. Not at all. So I'm glad to hear it. Now, what this means is it does not uh, outlaw abortion. It does not outlaw abortion. What it does is it tells the people of this country and the government that this is not a federal issue, <clears throat> and they're taking it and throwing it back to the states. That's what it's doing. So you can go, I'm sure, you'll still be able to get abortions in California and New York and other liberal uh, states of that nature. But in places like Florida or Arizona, here where we live, it's going to be struck down. You will not be able to get one. And I'm all for that. Good. Good. But I can't, I'm not going to spend too much time on that right now. But that, pray for the uh, Supreme Court that they uh, hold fast to that decision. It can always be changed until the, the uh, ruling is released officially. It can always be changed, okay? So pray for them. Pray to the Father for, for them in, the, in this matter. Okay, the book, or the book, the letter Paul wrote to Titus, what a great letter. I love this letter. It's such a small little letter. He is almost unknown. We know little, very little about Titus, but we do know quite a bit, but not like we do Timothy. The letter uh, written to him is is also relatively unknown. How often do we study uh, the book of the letter? I keep calling it a book. The letter of Titus. We don't read it too often. But it is a great little letter. And Paul addressed it to Titus, my true child in 
a common faith there, verse chapter 1, verse 4. And the information about him is limited, but here's what we know. We know he was a Greek from Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. But we're not sure what his name means. People have guesses uh, of what that might mean, but it, I don't think it matters. Titus was the name uh, that was given to an emperor of Rome in 79, uh, 81 A.D., but this Titus was the co-worker with Paul, a true child in a common faith that suggests that he had that Paul had taught Titus and baptized him. And since the first time we read about him, he had been uh, uh, over at Antioch. Maybe that's where Paul met him. We don't know. Uh, it could have been another city that Paul visited. But at some point, Titus became a traveling companion of Paul's. We read about that in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, where Paul writes, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. And if you're reading through the Bible, you'd be reading and hitting that, thinking, Titus, your brother, who is Titus? Who's that? You know, you don't know. And so a lot of questions are, are raised in our minds. Well, who is this? Especially as you read through Second uh, Corinthians, you read about Titus in chapter 7, chapter 8, uh, several times in chapter 12. But why don't we ever read about him in the book of Acts? We don't know. Some have opinions about why Luke left him out, but we don't know. And of course, when we study Titus and we look at him, we, we make comparisons with Timothy as, in, as inevitable. Both were probably converted by, by Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Titus 1, 4. But Titus may have been a bit older. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 12, Titus 2, 6 through 8. Also, Titus does not seem or to have had any health problems that Timothy suffered. That's another comparison. One preacher has uh, characterized them as timid Timothy and tough Titus. Uh, Titus is sometimes called Paul's troubleshooter regarding his role in the Bible. The few times Titus is mentioned, it is always in tension-filled situations. We read about the first such situation in Galatians 2 we were just talking about. The, the Judaizing teachers from Jerusalem were out there proclaiming that it was necessary to circumcise Gentiles and, and to direct those Gentiles to observe certain aspects of the law of Moses. That's from Acts 15 and also Galatians 2, 4. So this was a crucial moment in early church history. I believe, if you've ever heard me study through this, I believe that Satan was trying to divide the church into the Jewish church and the Gentile church, the Jerusalem church and the church at Antioch. And it was happening. There was a division occurring, and it needed to be dealt with. So if it wasn't dealt with, the church could end up being, you know, having two congregations. So Paul heads to Jerusalem, and he takes Titus down with him as Exhibit A. And so he's this Gentile Christian who did not need circumcision or any other Jewish rite to be a valued member of the God's church. We can only imagine how Titus was scrutinized by those insisting that law observation was essential to being a true child of God. The pressure of the Judaizers must have been overwhelming. Paul, however, was able to report, We did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, Galatians 2.5. Now, why would he put it like that? 
for even an hour. That means it was constant. They were constantly going at him, trying to get him to change his position. And Titus, Galatians 2.3, Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. They wanted him circumcised. Could you imagine being in that situation? That's stressful. Because he probably knows about some of the things these guys, these, this, this group, has done to Paul. Another tension-filled environment which required strong leadership was wicked Corinth, where congregational crises were at a peak. Who did Paul trust to deal with the difficult and delicate task of solving, or helping, not, not solving, but helping d- deal with that Corinthian situation? It was Titus. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, let me look, let me turn over there, verse 18. I think that's the verse I'm thinking of. Um, For this reason also, the people went, uh, is it 12? Oop, nope, that's the wrong one. I'm in the wrong spot there. Chapter 12, verse 18. Here we go. I, this is Paul writing, I urged Titus to go and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? He sent Titus down there. He, Paul was so concerned that, uh, uh, that as he waited for Titus to return, he found it hard to concentrate on his preaching. He was waiting to hear back from Titus. In fact, that was over in the first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Where is that at? Verses 12 and 13. I'm almost out of time. When I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when the door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. That mean, that tells you a little bit about the situation in Corinth that Titus had to deal with. What a man. What a great heart. What a, a strong, fortified man to, to stand firm in positions of great difficulty, and of course we're going to have to bring this up again next week. I, I need to stop splitting my lessons in half. We'll, we'll stop that next week. But study. I want you to. This is what I want you to do this week. Read through the book of Titus. Study up on it. We're going to really dive deep starting next week. I, I'm going to have to bring this to a close. Thank you. Pray for the Supreme Court and thank the Lord for the decision that they brought down. Thank you and God bless. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again and others, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com.